Welcome to another episode of WDMA Open and Close. I'm Mike O'Brien, CEO of the Window and Door Manufacturers Association. I want to get a plug-in up front for the upcoming WDMA Technical and Manufacturing Conference coming up on June 25th to the 27th in Minneapolis. Our guests today on the show will be one of our featured speakers on a topic at the conference that impacts every company in the industry, and one, frankly, that I don't think gets enough attention, which is how do we improve workplace safety culture? For more information on the conference and to register, visit WDMA.com. And as a reminder, you can subscribe to WDMA Open and Close through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen to us online through the WDMA website at WDMA.com slash WDMA Open and Close. We'll be right back with our guests. Joining us now on the podcast is Regina McMichael, president of the Learning Factory. She has 30 years of experience in safety and health education, training, communication, and leadership. Regina is a certified safety professional known as the Safety Training Ninja and has authored a book by the same name. She helps companies move from compliance-driven checklists to human and humanity-based safety solutions. Regina's worked in the construction, manufacturing, insurance, aerospace, automotive, and service industries, and she also sits on the board of certified safety professionals. We're excited that Regina will also be a featured speaker at the upcoming WDMA Technical and Manufacturing Conference with her program entitled, Making the Safe Choice, Inspiring Your Team to Do Great Things. Full disclosure, Regina and I have known each other for over 25 years or so, and worked together at the National Association of Home Builders, where she ran their Labor, Safety, and Health Services Department, although I don't think she had quite reached ninja level yet back in the 90s. Regina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for uh, taking a few minutes out of your day to talk to us. We're very excited about having you at the conference coming up, and safety, which I know is something near and dear to your heart, is also something very important to me and something that is always on the minds of window and door manufacturers and their suppliers, but it's sometimes misunderstood or kind of an elusive concept. What are your thoughts on safety culture? Well, you know, Mike, it's interesting because that's exactly what the problem is, is that people don't know how to put safety in a box. One of the things that I try to do when I work with organizations and when I'm I'm mentoring young professionals is for people to understand the difference between OSHA and it's, it's about the law, but safety is about humanity. In order to protect people, in order to get your safety culture to a place you want it to be, you have to make a shift away from the regulatory perspective and instead think about how do I take care of my people? And that goes beyond just safety, obviously. How do you have a great workforce that wants to come to work, that wants to produce the quality product that you want to deliver for your customers? So culture is a bigger picture, and then safety culture is that subset. But even the the most, you know, advanced experts struggle with what does a safety culture, what is it really defined as? And and so I, I think for folks who are struggling or who are ready to kind of benchmark, you know, what does good look like? You know, some of the things that you've got to look towards is that humanity-based approach is what's driving your safety initiatives about regulations and compliance, or is it about taking care of your people because they're your most important resource? You know, what always fascinated me in the past was how so many employers start out with the fear of OSHA 
and then sort of back into safety, as it were, because of that regulatory fear versus necessarily developing a a robust safety culture within their company from the get-go. So how do you know when it's actually been achieved? Well, you know, I joke with clients. I, I, I tell them they can, they can go out and hire a really expensive company and they can do all of these surveys and, and compile all this data. Or I could just walk around with their safety person on their shop floor or on the construction site, spend about 10 minutes with them, and I'll probably be able to get them the same feedback results for a whole lot less money. And how you know you achieved it is when the CEO, when the safety director, when whoever, the vice president of operations, when they go out and they interact with the workforce, and they start talking about safety, how does the conversation go and where does it go? You know, I I kind of laugh, but, you know, I've been with people who kind of have that safety cop mentality. And when you walk out on the shop floor, you know, everyone's like, oh, I've got my safety glasses on. Don't not going to catch me doing anything wrong. You know, that's that's not the culture we want to build. Instead, the conversation should be about, you know, hey, how are you? How's your job? What's going on with your life? How are your kids? Or how about that game last night? You know, it should start off as a conversation between two humans. And then it should be about servant leadership. You know, what are we doing to make sure that we're keeping our workers safe? And do they feel comfortable bringing those conversations and those topics to us as opposed to worry about being punished if they report an accident or bring up a safety, you know, a safety challenge? So that's one of the things is, is safety a comfortable conversation? And these are, these are very simple benchmarks. You know, again, you could hire someone to do a whole lot, but if you just want to gut check it, go out and see how do your people talk about safety with you? And are you getting out there? And when I say you, I mean everybody from the CEO all the way through the rest of the organization. Are you getting out there and having conversations about safety so that everybody understands the full commitment of the organization? Any other ways that you you like to foster that attitude? Well, you know, the, the, the kind of the penultimate is when they start taking the stuff home. You know, I, I have clients that they're like, yeah, our guys, you know, they, they, they steal all our safety glasses and they take them home. And I'm like, how do you feel about that? And they're like, we love it. And it's like, if they want safety glasses to go home to mow their yards, to give to their kids, to teach them about safety, to, you know, before they use the the weed eater, you know, they support that. They're like, it's not very much money and keeping them safe at home is just as important as keeping them safe at work. So that idea of when your your safety culture kind of stays, then all of a sudden some of the great ideas and some of the, the careful thinking, you know, how do you use that ladder to put up the Christmas lights? They start to apply those things they've learned at work and they start using them at home. And that's kind of the, when you know you've really gotten there is when, when safety transfers all the way back to the home place. And that's, that's kind of the, 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 final, the final frontier of, you know, how do we know we've really done something is we're protecting people in all aspects of their lives. I remember when the design of safety glasses changed so they weren't the same ones you wore in high school chemistry class <laughs> to the, you know, the cooler, you know, hey, these are kind of nice. And I I don't look like a dork in them. So that was, I'm sure, quite a revolutionary change in in safety, just the look of safety glasses. You know, it it was. And they they continue to evolve from whether or not they they have the brand of your favorite football team or the company logo or just, you know, that they're comfortable that, that you give your employees five or six different choices because not all of us have the exact same shaped heads. 
and it depends on the work that you're doing, what you're going to need them for. But yeah, that, that whole, you know, the chemistry kind of thing is exactly the analogy of that, that evolution. You know, what are we doing in all facets to try to connect with the worker to get them on track? So you're known as the safety training ninja, which I did not know until recently. <laughs> and you've published a book by that title. So I'm very impressed. So tell us Thank about you. the book. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going in deep right in the beginning, just so that, that everybody listening right now knows that you are in the dedication because you were a big As part well I should of- be. <laughs> You were a big part of me becoming the the safety training ninja. You were a big part of me becoming the trainer that I was meant to be and and putting me on the path that I that I meant to be and was kind of destined to be. And you know, as I as I trained early in my career and then I extended my professional development to my education, I, I realized the absolute challenge that business and industry faces with really horrible safety training. I mean, if you, if you survey the average worker out there and you say, hey, fill in the blank, safety training, you know, they're going to they're gonna say a word not so flattery. And, and the challenge is, is that we don't train our people well. And when I mean well, I mean so that they learn it, they get it, and they, they know what they're supposed to do. If we're not really doing a great job at that, we are truly putting them at risk. You know, this idea that, oh, I made them sit through safety training class. I told them what to do. They filled out a form that they knew what they were doing, and then they went out and did something wrong. You know, they didn't pay attention. Well, it's so much more than that. You know, what are we as the safety training industry doing to make sure that that training is awesome, to make sure that people want to go to the class and they want to learn and they enjoy themselves and that they feel like they're a part of the experience, not just being told, you know, 29 CFR 19 something. You know, what are we doing to make safety training awesome so that they actually learn it and then they go out and they behave safely in the workplace? And so that's kind of what what Ninja is about is giving everyone a framework to develop the training using established methodology that exists in the training world and then just making sure that I twist it so that it makes sense to most people in the safety industry, particularly people who don't have a lot of experience in safety training who are trying to to make it better so that they don't become one of those people just churning out regulatory uh, language where they they read the slides and everyone's bored to tears. So how is the book sort of broken up? How are you you approaching the person picking up the book? Is it in modules? Well, the bulk of the book is based on the concept called ADDI. And ADDI is an instructional systems design methodology that's been used in the training world since post-World War II. And it's analyze, design, develop, implement and evaluate. And it's a circular process. And, you know, I kind of joke that, you know, safety people, we follow processes all the time. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter what it is. We're always going in circles trying to, uh, you know, continuous improvement. And the ADDI cycle isn't any different than that. And it's the idea that we've got to take the time to figure out what our learners know and what they need to know and only train to that gap in between. And then we've got to figure out, you know, how do we design it so that they want to participate, so it's awesome. And then how do we develop the content so it's valuable and and memorable. And then how do you deliver it so that everyone goes, wow, I actually learned something. And then how do you go back and evaluate it both for the worker but also for yourself so that you're making a better program the next time. Then there's also chapters on tips and tricks for PowerPoint, working with subject matter experts, the e-learning world, 
you know, lots of add-in stuff, but tons of stories just based on the 30 years of training that I've been doing and my experience on, you know, what works, what doesn't work and tips and tricks uh, for people just to make the process go a little bit easier, but also giving safety people and all people permission to not start your training off with some regulatory reference. You know, unless the law says that they have to have the regulation memorized, which there isn't one that says that, unless, unless there's something that says they have to be able to say 29 CFR something, why is it even in the training program? They don't care. Why would you try to teach it to them? And if it, if it doesn't impact whether or not it keeps them safe or not, then why clutter their minds with stuff they don't need to know? Has technology really made it easier in terms of proving the overall safety culture? I mean, are there ways that that has helped make things better? Yes and no. <laughs> and, and the yes is... Well, that's um, yes and no for technology and everything. <laughs> very valid. Um, um, yes, we can be more efficient in the work that we do because we can you know, take an existing document and then revise it. We can keep making it better and cleaning it up and, and learning from our changes using PowerPoint and things like that. You know, on the no side, we now, you know, go on to Google and we, we Google confined space entry. We find somebody who's made this PowerPoint on the new regulation or something like that. And we just download it and we're like, cool, we're done. And so technology is killing us in that regard because it's, it's not necessarily going to be right for your audience. It's not going to be the right materials. It's probably not going to be that interesting. Some of the things for live training, for face-to-face -face training, some of the stuff that makes training really awesome and amazing has nothing to do with technology. You know, it's flip charts, it's conversations, it's case studies, it's working group activities, it's co-teaching amongst the audience. On the flip side, going to the e-learning world, uh, initially, you know, when e-learning started to kind of kick off, everybody was like, oh, well, I've got this PowerPoint and, and I can narrate via the PowerPoint button that says record, and now I have e-learning. And e-learning is not PowerPoint with words. E-learning is, is you follow the same ADI process, but it's so much more work and requires so much more design and development because our, our ability to stay focused, we're like goldfish now. We've got five to seven seconds, and I've got to be, when I'm developing e-learning for clients, I've got to redirect their attention every five to seven seconds. I don't have to work that hard when it's face-to-face, -face, but when it's on an electronic platform, you've got to really make it amazing. Otherwise, they're just going to zone out. So improving safety training is a big career initiative for you, isn't it? It's pretty much all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured out that that's, that's where I needed to put the most work that, that I do, that you know, there's a lot of people, you know, there's the concepts of culture and the concepts of, of a lot of the work that I do. Well, because you really started out almost really more focused on sort of regulatory compliance and development and, and with sort of training supporting that. So you've, you've really massaged that over the years into more of a training focused profession, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I loved being a part of the development of subpart M for fall protection for construction. I loved learning the process. Uh, I loved becoming an expert in that particular topic, but I, I realized and you love working with regulators. I'm sure. <laughs> 
yes, all those, all those amazing meetings that were so productive. But, you know, I'm glad that I had that experience and I'm glad that I was able to, to learn from that. But I was also able to, to learn that, you know, when it came time to teaching the audience I was teaching at the time, which was, which was home builders. And when I'm talking with small businesses and I'm talking about, you know, complex harnessing systems and attachment points and anchorages and, and engineering on whether or not you can attach it this particular truss versus that one, I realized that knowing the law was one thing, but it was quite another to get somebody to actually do it and to have somebody crawl up on a roof and make a choice to connect to the roof in order to, to be safe and knowing the regulation, that's not what it was about. It was about making that human connection and getting them to believe that it was the right thing to do to keep them alive. So you've worked across many different industries by this point. Do you see common safety threads across all of them? Yes. I have, I've taught all over the world and I've taught in so many different industries. And, and the one thing that everyone can take comfort in knowing is that everyone cha- is challenged with the exact same problems. The questions about how to train well, the, tr- the questions about multi-generational workplaces, the, the challenges of regulation versus humanity, uh, you know, workforce challenges. All of those things uh, exist in every country and every organization across every industry. Everyone is faced with the same thing. And I, I remember back in the old days, you know, the, in the trade association world, we would be like, oh, this group is different than that group, and you don't understand our problems. And, and now I've worked in so many different industries and all around the world, and everyone is suffering from the exact same challenges. And it, it comes back to whether or not your organization is ready to make a commitment to the people as a resource, as a true human resource, and, and whether or not you want to make that effort to keep them around. I've got a client, They're, they have a 4% turnover in, in the HVAC maintenance industry. That's unheard of. It's amazing. And, and the reason is because they've made a choice, not just with safety, but across the board to use their human capital as the primary resource to make their business successful. And they have. Well, with all the labor challenges facing almost every industry, that's, you know, that's critical these days. Yeah, absolutely. And safety is just one more component of that. Let's keep them alive. Let's keep them educated. Let's, let's show them how to do their job well and efficiently. Let's pay them appropriately. Let's get them back to work if they, if they do get hurt. You know, all of that is a part of that bigger picture. And, and safety needs to be integrated into that thought process and no longer siloed as something separate like OSHA. So you're going to be one of our keynote speakers at our upcoming technical and manufacturing conference at the end of June. You have an interesting backstory, which uh, we haven't really touched on much. So can you share a little bit about that without giving away your whole presentation? (laughs) Well, I I remember the day that you interviewed me for a job. When you offered me the job, I told you there was something I needed to tell you before I could accept the position. You know, and that was that my husband was killed on the job. My husband was killed on a home building construction site in 1986. And I, I felt like you had to know that, being where we were working, that uh, that, that backstory was important to share. I didn't want you to be surprised or caught off guard. And it's been a journey. You know, the day my husband died was the day I started my safety career. I just didn't know it for a few years. And it, it's helped shape, you know, who I was, who I am, and now where I go forward in the future with my intentions towards improving safety training, but also just the intentions about how we need to treat our workforce so that we're actually keeping them alive for the right reasons. So on another topic, 
with all the different clients that you've encountered, you must have come across some pretty innovative and and cool approaches to safety training. Is there any that particularly stick out in your mind? You know, I think it's the ones um, that are already on track in terms of the other signs of safety. I have a client, uh, they're a very large uh, beauty company, and we did some training for their, for their leadership. And when I got in there that day, you know, there was, there was treats and there was name tents and there was the agendas and it, it and I, and I know those sound like simple things, but it was, a, it was part about showing a bigger commitment that training just wasn't some last minute. Okay, here's a room. See if you can make it work kind of thing. You know, when the workforce knows that you haven't put any upfront effort into making the training awesome, they're going to get that vibe pretty clearly and they're going to, they're going to know that, you know, you don't care. So why should they care? So, you know, this organization, the setup that they had, it was crazy. And then conversely, you know, I was working with a aerospace manufacturer, a much smaller organization, part of a larger global one, but, but they all kind of ran independently. And when I spoke to them a couple of days before training, they were like, yeah, we don't, we don't have a budget. There won't be any breakfast. And I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get it. You know, I'll pay for it out of my own fees. I, I, you know, the idea that you would ask people to sit in a room for eight straight hours and not feed them is just kind of telling them that, you know, wow, we don't care about you at all. And so yeah. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's part, all, it's all part of that bigger picture of, is it a nice space? Are they comfortable? Do you have coffee for them? Did you take the time to create and develop great training? You know, did you, are you taking the time to make sure that they're really learning and they're getting some value out of it? Or are you delivering the same class you've delivered for the last five years, just so you can check a box? And conversely, have you ever gotten to a company where you just thought, no, this is not going to work? <laughs> the luxury of having so many years of experience now is I can pretty much ferret those guys out in, during the initial conversations. And, and I, I've, I've always kind of made a joke. I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, that day's not available. And, but I mean, yeah, I've, I've you know, had a call recently and someone's like, you need to train our trainers to be better trainers. And it, it turns out that, you know, they were all forced to become safety people like three months previously when uh, they were bought out by another organization. And I'm like, I, I can't help you. I can't make them great safety trainers when they were, you know, production guys three months ago. And they're only, they're only doing this for 15 minutes a month. You know, there's, there's a much greater commitment to turning people into great safety people who are also great safety trainers. And, and so, yeah, there's, there's folks that I spent a little bit of time with during the, the initial stages of a conversation and realized we're probably not a good match. But I think they figure that out about me just as quickly. Um, I'm pretty, pretty open and honest. So they, they realize they're like, yeah, she's, 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 she's going to want to do stuff we're not going to want to do. So it, it kind of works out. But, but yeah, it's, there, there are organizations that they meet me and they talk and they go, I don't think we're a good fit. And I'm like, no, I think, you're, I think that's a fair, fair consideration. And, and they'll get there when they're ready to get there. I can't, I can't force them to, to be ready to embrace um, the greater concepts of, yeah. of awesome safety training. You know, they'll get there when they get there. Just like they, they move through whatever path to get through compliance. Now they'll move through whatever path there is to get to, uh, to greater training. So if people want to check out your book before the conference, where can they buy it? Well, if they're members of the American Society of Safety Professionals, they can get it at a 20% discount. But the quick and easy way is to head on over to Amazon. Um, you won't get that 20% discount, but you'll save on shipping and you'll have it in two days. And <laughs> if you bring it to the conference, I'll sign it. And uh, <laughs> which I don't know if that matters or not, but... Uh, <laughs> 
but it's a it's a super easy read and it's designed if you if you know me if you've ever met me you can hear me speaking in the book it's designed to be designed to be anyone if you're a part-time safety person if you're a full-time safety person you know if you've got training responsibilities in any capacity it's designed to to be you know usable by all of those people it wasn't written at an academic level it's written at a uh, practical level and just a reminder folks it's safety training ninja by regina mcmichael so thanks so much for joining us on the podcast regina thank you we look forward to hearing your full presentation in June in Minneapolis. I'll see everybody there. And that does it for another episode of WDMA Open and Close. If you are listening to us through your favorite podcast platform, do us a favor and don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Thanks for listening and goodbye until the next episode of WDMA Open and Close.